0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master new skill. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
0: It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Turn it on, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're gonna
2: take the north and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North Podcast. I'm David Hall from 670 the Score. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. Here on the Take the North podcast, where you can find it on your free Odyssey app, or you can watch us on 670 the Score's YouTube page. Dan, you're back from Tampa. Uh, I hope that your trip went smoother than the Bears did. I hope you had no travel snags and everything is is fine. But then you went out to Hallis Hall, and uh, boy, this was one of those days at Hallis Hall. I wondered last week you thought it was uneven and a little bit odd. I know it's probably too early to get a gauge, but how would you describe being back there today after the twenty-seven to seventeen
0: loss? Yeah, I don't know yet. We had a chance uh, on Monday afternoon to talk to Matt Eberflus as well as Darnell Mooney. And Jack Sanborn, I think there's still a lot in that building that they're not sure what it is or what the fixes are. And I think there's a lot of searching going on right now, to put it bluntly. I feel like you and I at some point. Uh, need to have a conversation here that celebrates a win. And it's like the the yeah, inspection of a, a new home before you close on it. And it's like, ah, oh, everything looks great. As opposed to kind of the weekly debris analysis that that I feel like we're stuck in week after week after week.
2: I think when this drops on Tuesday morning, it will be 330 days since wow. the Bears' last victory. October 24th, 2022. 12 straight losses in this season two straight double-digit defeats, and two straight winnable games. And Matt Eberflus just trying to remain steadfast, I think, is the word that he used when asked about morale. And it's a big challenge for Matt Eberflus and the coaching staff. That's where it starts. I think we'll get into some of the details. We're going to break down Justin Fields' game and look at some of the other things, Dan. But I think just overall, when you are the head coach of a football team that's reeling to the extent the Bears are reeling, I wonder, I wonder how important the messaging is and how strong it is just to keep a, a stiff upper lip and to persevere and to stay resilient.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder the same thing because it, it just... Feels repetitive in so many ways. Uh, Kevin Fishbane, our buddy at the Athletic, had some quotes from Jalen Johnson in his column coming out of Tampa about just being tired of doing the same old bleep. You know where where you, you lose. Uh, you hear the same post game speech. You give the same post game message about how we're going to stick together. You give the same post game themes about fight and, and focus and all those things. And and then you come back the next week and you lose again, and you just rinse and repeat. And I think so many people though, particularly the ones that have been here longer than, you know, March or, or February, uh, are tired of it. And, and certainly those of us on the beat are tired of it. You know, Mark Potash said something leaving the stadium on, on Sunday evening about at at some point, you just, you just want to cover something different, (laughs) you know? And like, here we are. I, I do think back to 2018 and how fun that run was and how different that team was and its ability to, to kind of produce that feel good. And now we're like five years removed from that. And to your point, we're 330 days removed from the last time that even this group won a football game which that like when you stop and start to think about that it blows your mind and then david as you know the very next stop is in kansas city so while weeks one and week two were winnable i don't think week three is
2: i didn't realize posse was putting his house on the market so (laughs) i wish him well and selling if he wants to cover a winner or be around winning sports i think that you're gonna it's a tough time right now in chicago you wake up monday morning The Bears are 0-2 and and look like they, you know, don't have a clue. The Cubs get swept by the Diamondbacks. The White Sox are irrelevant. The Bulls are, you know, not back yet. Connor Bedard gets a hat trick in a prospect's camp, and everybody wants to do cartwheels because that's (laughs) the only good news. But we digress. Okay, so there's so much about the quarterback, and there's so much about Justin Fields that ties into – the little picture and the short term and the long term big picture let's just start and get right into our qb1 segment i think we just bypassed the opening drive too but we we get the gist everyone can follow along dan i I think that before we get into some of the categories i wrote this and, and you wrote something similar and i think it's the biggest takeaway as it pertains to justin fields my sense was that in You know, the Bears, the way I put it, might have lost more than just a football game on Sunday. I feel like there's, uh, if this was happening gradually on on Sunday, it seemed to be maybe more suddenly or more obviously. But the loss of hope in Justin Fields, I think he lost a lot of people that might have believed in him up until a certain point. And, And I referenced it, two minutes, 24 seconds left in the game the field goal ties it. a a touchdown wins it they're at the seven yard line and i just don't know how many people out there expected the bears to do anything except for what they did which is he threw a pick six and they they you you weren't like anticipating good things there's such a you talk about a culture the expectation is the bears are going to find a way to lose this game if there is a way to lose this game and i think it starts with the quarterback
0: yeah, I mean, Herb Howard and I talked about it on the postgame pod, David, that you were just trying to figure out how it was going to go haywire. Was it going to be a turnover on downs? Was it going to be a actual turnover? Was it going to be uh, a catastrophic turnover that resulted in the Buccaneers in the end zone, which it turned out to be on the first play nonetheless? And I know we'll get into that whole uh, fatal screenplay in a few minutes here, but let's say that they that they complete that and get six or seven yards on it and they get out to the mm-hmm. eleven. <laughs> 12 yard line whatever it is do you really think they're going the next 88 yards um with what they had shown through the first three quarters plus the four quarters in week one plus all of the the the, the- the moments down the stretch of the 10-game losing string a year ago to believe that they were going to get it done in crunch time. You don't. And and it's because the track record of failure is long and growing longer. And, and that is disheartening. It's dispiriting. That feeling follows you into the huddle when you get the ball back with 224 to go in a game that you still can win despite playing poorly for most of the afternoon and being basically beaten in every phase of the game. It was a miracle that they had the ball in their hands with a chance to go tie the game or win it. And yet to your point, there was almost no one in the stadium, in the city of Chicago, in the audience that felt like, okay, this is where this is where it all shifts. This is where it all gets done. That's as problematic as anything. Uh, and it's a testament to just how pronounced the struggles have been.
2: So I, I think that when you look at the defining moment, as we get to our first category, it's hard to get past that <laughs> one in terms of the, the screen pass and well, it just was so reminiscent maybe it's a, a, the curse of number seven is Isn't Quay walker number seven with
0: the he packers be. He might Chef
2: be barrett is number seven I, I don't know what it is maybe the, the they should uh, look into that but the me the defining moment was when you have a chance to make a play and that it's not all in justin fields but boy it's hard to get past that first or that last pass the, the pick six the second straight week to get a pick six as being any more defining than that because that that gave, deprived the Bears a chance of winning the game. It deprived Justin Fields a chance of winning over some, uh, some people who might have been skeptics about whether or not he could lead a drive. And I know that there are more that goes into it than just the quarterback, but if you're talking about QB1, there's not a play that's any more indelible about that outcome and that outing on Sunday than that one.
0: Well, you may have just seen me leaning forward, typing in some research on my computer. Harrison Butker is number seven for the Chiefs. So they, they're they not in much danger of Harrison Butker having the game ceiling pick six uh, in week three at Arrowhead. So so take a take a, a sigh of relief that that curse won't continue. But you're right. I mean, the defining moment is the defining moment. And I think what's problematic to me, and I tried to dive into this a little deeper with Matt Eberfluss on Monday afternoon at Hallis Hall, and he really wouldn't go deeper into it, and there's probably good reasons why, but it was first down. You know, and like that's uh, again one of those situations where even if the play call isn't what you love, and even if the look that you get from the Bucks isn't great, and even if it, it, it's not executed the way you want, the last thing you can do is to turn the ball over there. Right? At worst, just dirt it, get rid of it, put it in the seats, put it at the feet of a, a, a lineman with your running back nearby. Whatever it takes to just get on a second down, and then maybe call something different, get yourself some room. The other part of this, David, is that they actually hit a screen for nine yards on the previous snap and it was brought back because Chase Claypool committed an offensive pass interference penalty. And so you're thinking, man, like just stay out of your own way there and maybe that first screenplay hits and maybe that's the only screen you're going to call on the entire drive and now you're going to turn it loose like you did on the, the previous touchdown drive to get yourself back in the game. But this is the Bears right now. They just get in their own way. Chase Claypool tells reporters after the game that he thought it was a, a, a running play even though it was a passing play. So somewhere along the lines there's crossed wires which is the last thing you can have on the first play of a potential game tying or game winning drive you've got a quarterback who doesn't see it right makes a bad throw you got a play call that's in question you know i asked matt directly david like if you had a redo right we know the nfl doesn't give redos but if you had a redo what would you adjust in terms of either the play call decision the pre-snap uh, you know, read of it and the, the post snap execution. And basically, he said the pre snap read was was perfect. It was a one. The, the Buccaneers were in a defense that allows for us to get a back basically free and into space for a screen. So he he was good with that. Really, wouldn't go into what went wrong on the post snap execution, which tells you that there was probably some flaws in 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 kind of the way they blocked it up and the way the quarterback saw it and the where the ball was delivered. And the next thing you know, there is an absolute. Uh, party in that end zone on the pirate ship side of Raymond James Stadium because the Buccaneers went ahead and basically landed that knockout blow.
2: Not to digress, but how would you explain that lack of communication? I mean, how does that happen in 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 a key
0: moment that clutch and that meant as much as it did to that game? They talk since May about the amount of situational work they get Because they understand that all games in the NFL come down to these situational moments. Game on the line, two minutes left, you've got the ball, go do it. Justin talked on Sunday afternoon about being in that same mindset. They've worked on it so often. Okay, two minute drill, two minute drill, two minute drill. We practice this, we practice this. Let's just channel what we do in practice. Let's go down the field and get it. They're not sharp. They're not crisp. They're not together all of the things that you need to, to win a football game. And this is about finishing and, you know, it's, it's on both sides of the ball. It's in all three phases. You got to finish plays. You got to finish drives. You got to finish games. Um, they're not capable right now. And in the, in the biggest moments, they find a way to, to kind of show the world that they're not capable. And I think that's, what's so disheartening about all of this for everybody involved is it's just like one time, one time, just write a different chapter in this book. And maybe it'll be a little bit more, uh, enlivening and entertaining for the rest of us.
2: sensing a theme, but our next category is the uh uh-oh category. And even though the biggest uh uh-oh was the defining moment, another one came later. In the fourth quarter so now the bears are down 10 yeah. but they do have a last gasp and you have the football and after justin fields is sacked it's third and 19 bad situation third and 19 when you're down 10 at the 16 yard line but he throws another interception and and i think that the worst thing about this one wasn't necessarily maybe the execution you don't want it to happen um but this was desperation mode but the fact is that no. Now you've got another fourth quarter turnover and these are statistics and these are numbers that begin to pile up and, you know, whether or not, you know, the the hidden meaning behind all of them, when you look at it it, as a total, whether it's midseason or at the end of a season, you look at fourth quarter turnovers and they're piling up for Justin Fields in a season where he's going to be evaluated and we're starting to make judgments on what he can do when you need him to do something special.
0: When we talked about setting uh, statistical bars for Justin a couple weeks ago before the season started for this season, one of the things we talked about was playing better in the fourth quarter. He had an abysmal fourth-quarter passer rating in 2022, and we wanted that to go up. We wanted the turnovers to come down, and it's doing just the opposite through two games. David, his passer rating in the fourth quarter through these first two games, winnable games, as you mentioned at the outset, is 43.8. His interception rate is 10.3%. On fourth quarter passes. This is trending in the wrong direction. It can't continue. They have to figure out a way to get there. Chase Claypool has got to catch that, that pass, you know, look like I get it. The game is probably over. You're down 10. That's still a drive to get yourself right. There's still enough time on the clock to go down, get points, right? Get points and then figure out if Cairo Santos has got a magic uh, onside kick in his bag, you know, just, just do it. The Buccaneers are celebrating. They've they've taken their foot off the gas. They realize the last thing uh, that they can do to, uh, to, to lose the game is give up a big play. So so you're going to have completions available for you. And then again, you throw another interception and this is the way it all lands. I'll, I'll say this also. Go ahead. I think you're right. I mean,
2: I, I don't want to unfairly uh, blame Justin Fields for this pick when when Claypool's effort could have right. been better. I just think that w- the point in, in maybe identifying this as a problem is that you, you know how it goes. You know, In three weeks when we're looking at category that says justin fields fourth quarter turnovers we're not going to be able to tell the story of every pick right and every every story has every pick has a story but in the in the end the quarterback pays because it's like a it's like a bloop single it's a line drive in the box score it doesn't matter when you're evaluating and looking at things statistically at the end of the year in the middle of a season when you're looking for analysis, do you know the down and distance of that pass that you're talking about? Third and third and nine, uh, third and 19, I believe
0: third and 19. That's a familiar down and distance for the bears. Isn't it? Third and 19 an 11 yard sack on the previous play. It's just, it's all symptomatic of what's happening here. And it, it, it's really, it's really an issue um, for me, David, part of the Oh here was how good they looked on the first drive contrasted with what happened for the next. I, I would love to figure out what it was in real time. And maybe when I go through my rewatch, Uh, I can, I can figure that out, but you go down the field and set, you know, and get 75 yards and, and seven points on your initial drive. And then your next six drive combined, I think it was three points and 64 net yards. Okay. So you had six consecutive possessions that went punt, punt, field goal, punt, punt, punt. Why aren't you able to sustain anything that you created on that opening drive when it was clearly like, like sitting inside Raymond James stadium, the way the bears knifed down the field on the first drive, you're like, yes, that's, that that is in there and it is so refreshing to see that that is in there and then you're like okay maybe this is a different day you know maybe they figured some things out on the bridge from week one to week two and then you sit there through the second quarter through the third quarter through the first drive of the fourth quarter and you go they ain't figured bleep out right they ain't figured bleep out
2: and and that's what Matt Eberflus is referring to today on Monday when he stopped short of criticizing Justin Fields but when he was asked to give him a grade or evaluate him He said the same thing kind of twice. He basically said he did some nice things. He's going to stay positive, but you need more consistency. And that's what you're talking about. If they had consistently executed the offense the way they did in the opening drive, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about the loss number two. We'd be sitting here talking about how they rallied to win on the road, and then now they're going to Kansas City with a tough challenge. But that's not the narrative because they're not capable of the consistency that their head coach talked about on Monday.
0: Hold on, let me get my record player out and put this broken record on there. Yeah, exactly. the, Bears have, the Bears have not scored more than 20 points in a game since week 11 of last season. Oh, I say God. it to you every week and it keeps happening, right? Broken record, boom, it, it, it's it's reliable, this broken record, the way it keeps repeating and skipping and doing the same things. So here we are. And now, again, now we're going to Kansas City.
2: You know, the other uh-oh is kind of like the secondary uh, category here, but he was sacked six times. And I think at least on half of those conservatively, you could say he held on to the ball too long. The biggest uh uh-oh about Justin Fields at this stage of his development is, uh uh-oh, there he goes again, holding on to the ball too long. It's not necessarily even his accuracy, which I think it can be an issue. It's not even that he's missing the layups or making them look like three-pointers, which can be an issue. I think that the biggest problem is the clock in his head seems to be broken, and he's not able to unload the ball when he needs to, so he's taking more sacks, then this offense can afford.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, a hundred percent. And you're saying it in real time. That's not something you go back on the all 22 and you go, Oh man, I think this ball should have been out. You're saying it in real time. You you've watched enough NFL football to know, get it out, get it out, get it out, even, if, you know, or, or get yourself out. You know, if you're not going to throw it, get on the move and turn this into a scramble drill. You can either use your legs or your legs and arm as a combination. We talked about that last week and it didn't happen Sunday. It was like uh, a regression in terms of the ability to extend plays. It was just like, Oh, it's not there. Oh, my God, now I'm frozen, and now I've got four Buccaneers defensive linemen on top of me. Jonathan Jones, who, who works for CBS, he came through uh, in the summer, and he was at a mini-camp practice at Hallis Hall. I go back to my days in in uh, North Carolina knowing Jonathan, and he was standing about 10 feet away from me on a particularly rough day for the offense, and he's watching a a 7-on-7 seven seven period, and you could hear him like literally standing around himself going, Throw it. Throw it. <laughs>
2: Throw
0: it. And then he walks down by me with wide eyes and he goes, does it look like this a lot? And I said, yeah, man, it it, it does. And he was just stunned at like, you know, the, the, the first glimpse of that, of being like, my God, like this, the, the clock is not there. Like the ball's got to be out. It's got to go. And that just kind of tells you like this is this is what's happening right now. Is there a fix for it? Hopefully, if there's not. You know, we're, we're going to go from, you know, the cries for Tyson Bajant to the cries for, ha, 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 you know, I mean, like, are you ready for November and December to be Crash for Caleb? Nah. See, uh, Crash for Caleb has
2: a nice ring to it. Tank for Caleb, not quite. I'm not ready for hashtags, Dan. No, <laughs> I am not ready for a hashtag season. So let's go to our next category because there was something on the bright side. And on the bright side, Justin Fields, 16 to 29, 211. One touchdown, two picks, 61.1 pass rating. Hard to find the bright side. But if I would be able to start, I'm going to go with the touchdown pass to Chase Claypool. He threw his conviction. He threw to a spot. A little bit risky, perhaps, but that's the kind of thing we're talking about. You can't be that risk averse and expect to have success. He took a shot. The receiver was there. Rewarded that faith. Hopefully, he learns from that when he watches it again on tape and it was a 20-yard touchdown to a receiver who needed to have that for his own sake and for his own uh, uh I think profile. So Justin Fields that was to me one of the bright spots on a day that didn't have too many.
0: I like it. My bright side is uh The things that we talked about going into this game, we said this offense had to do two things above all else. Number one, they had to get off to a fast start. Number two, they had to get D.J. Moore much more involved. They did both together uh, early and often, And, and Justin hits D.J. Moore on the first pass of the game for 33 yards. It's a play that if you go back and watch it, it's just boom, rip it ball in your best playmaker's hands. He's out the gates. He gets 33. Later on that drive, they convert third down, David, with a, a just a, a beautiful collective. It's one of those where, where the, you know you hear coaches all the time, well, oh, we need to be in sync all 11 at once. Well, you get a blitz, and you get a, a running back and Khalil Herbert to pick it up and give you the time, and you get DJ Moore on what Justin Fields said was a choice route, making the decision against the leverage of the defensive back that he felt was right. Justin seeing it the same way, ripping it out there. It's another big gain for 30-plus. Down the sideline you go, And a few minutes later, you're in the end zone celebrating a touchdown. And again, it's like, okay, this is in here. This is why you gave away the number one pick. you got a bunch of future assets, but you also wanted a player that could help you now. DJ Moore helped you right away on Sunday. His total numbers for the day, seven targets, six catches, 104 yards, average of 17.3 yards per catch. You will take that every single week if you're the Chicago Bears, and they better start to, to, to do that and continue feeding him in a way that gets this offense going.
2: That's a good one. Can't argue with anything you said there.
3: Selling a little <coughs> or a lot? <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher Online Shop stage
2: So the final category is the key number. And I think that the key number would be a key stat for me. And it doesn't make maybe – I'll just explain. I think it's – when I was looking at this this morning, trying to sift through uh, the stat sheet in the midst of all those great phone calls we received on the Mullion Haas show, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people weighing in today. Um, Ten for 23 would be the statistic or the number for me. And that's what Justin Fields was outside of the one six for six drive. So you take away one drive, and it wasn't even the first one. There were two drives where he was really good. Right. And I think it was everything you wanted him to be, and we we've referenced both of them. But on that 90-yard drive, when you thought, okay, the Bears are somehow going to find a way to steal this game perhaps or put themselves in a position to do that, he was 6 of 6. It was a 90-yard drive. Yeah. But you take that away, and the rest of the game – Outside of that drive, he was 10 for 23, less than 50%, which shows you how inefficient this offense and inconsistent it remains because that that, that just can't – you need to be more steady and you need to be uh, less of a feast or famine type of approach. And Justin Fields, at the stage of his development, 27 starts in to his NFL career just isn't that guy yet.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at my notes here because Matt Eberflew said something that, that, today that, that I wrote in the margin of my notebook because he said, you see the flashes, you see the improvement. And then he alluded that you don't see the consistency and that's it, right? Like this is, we're we're there now. We're in season three, we're 27 starts into a career. It, the consistency has to be there. And I think everyone realizes that now. I think Justin understands that it, it, it's, it's go time now, right? Like it's go time and, and we can't just sit around and wait uh, for eventually. I wrote that in my column at chicagotribune.com for the bears at large, eventually doesn't have a a estimated arrival date. You know, (laughs) Amazon's not telling us when eventually is going to arrive. And that's very disconcerting because we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for all the things that are eventually supposed to come.
2: While we're still talking about the quarterback, I will uh, open this door only because I had to address it this morning and it's something that you'll be asked throughout the week. And, Uh you know, the patience level with Justin Fields, and even though we can both agree that it's probably, you know, getting close to expiring with fans and forget about the media, but I think people are losing their patience waiting for this quarterback to arrive. I wonder though, how would you describe or how do you tell people who wonder the same thing about the Bears as a coaching staff, as an administration, maybe even teammates? How different is the outside noise and the people that have expectations for Justin Fields and maybe their their frustration versus where the bears are with their patience level. There aren't realistic alternatives in my view. And I think you would agree. And yet I do understand why people are so frustrated. They would just want something to be different.
0: Well, I'll say that, that the outside view and the inside view are probably the gap between those two things is probably narrowing, right? I think that Ryan poll sits up in the press box every week and he sees the same things and he, probably is saying in his head, throw it, throw it, throw it, <laughs> you know, and it's not happening. And, and it gets frustrating. And you, you said something, this might've been a month ago on the podcast that I I, I really appreciated. It. And I filed away in the back of my head where you said it's an evaluation. It's not an insult. And if you're doing a fair and honest evaluation, like you have to just be brutally honest with what you see and and, and how you assess it. I think Ryan's capable of that. I think this coaching staff is capable of that. Now that doesn't mean that they're, they're they have this like urge to turn the page but they do have an urgency to, to say look like all right it's got to come now you know this is unfair that they're going to have to go to Kansas City in week three and probably play a chase game like I think we're all reasonable signs point to the fact that the Bears are going to be behind by double figures in this game the Chiefs are favored by 12 and a half already and so you're probably going to be playing from behind and you're probably going to be playing from two or three scores behind and so this is not the best get well game for this team but now look like you're going to have Denver you're going to have the commanders you're going to have that uh, you know, flip after the mini buy to try to get things right. They have to use this next stretch of the end of September and all of October to show enough improvement where people start going, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll sit tight for a couple games more, right. At a time, a couple at a time, we'll sit a little tighter because we're seeing obvious improvement. If not, one of the reasons you kept Tyson Bajan on your roster is because you think he's a young talent worth developing. Now, look like you don't want to take an undrafted kid from Shepard and thrust him into the mix earlier than you than you want to. Um, but that's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that we're going to see him as an answer at some point, because you are, are going to want to test that if it keeps trending in this direction with Justin. And that's the biggest problem. I just can't believe that you know it's September 18th and we've arrived here. We've arrived at this point Having this discussion, and by the way, my big number was one for thirteen because we talked about last year the Bears being one for twelve in uh, the final. Oh, yeah, eight. I forgot
2: to get to your big number. No, I'm, I'm sorry, just saying no. it. it
0: yeah. t- no, it ties in here because it's yeah. you know it's it's game on the line situations, chance to tie the game or go ahead and and you biff it, you know, you biff it again, and that's part of this. Like like Ryan Post said this like in the off season, you, you go win games, go win games, and so um, you're probably not going to do it here this week, but but beyond that. You better go win something because if you're 0-5, 0-6, 0-7, that outside clamor is completely reasonable and it's completely justifiable.
2: Any other quarterback observations before we move on to our next category?
0: No, I think uh, I think we've, we, we've hit a bunch of them.
2: All right, let's move on to what we'll call the closer look. A couple personnel things I want to talk to you about or at least ask you to get your quick impressions and answers about in terms of what you learned post-game and maybe even today at Howells Hall when you were back there after getting back from Tampa. Let's start with Chase Claypool. Obviously, post-game, he spoke for the first time that he was a source of a lot of speculation to the point where Jay Glazer on Fox uh, had a pregame report that he apologized uh, to his teammates, to the front office, about his uh, kind of lack of effort and poor play against the Packers. Chase Claypool was targeted more times than any other wide receiver on the bears eight times, came through with three catches, had the touchdown we referenced and was a willing, more willing blocker. What was your overall takeaway from Chase Chase Claypool's day in Tampa?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was a step forward, but it would have been really, really hard to take a step sideways or a step back after what he put on the video in, in, in week one. I think when you get down to it, the, the touchdown catch is a nice moment, and it's one of those moments that for Chase individually, it should be uplifting, and it should make you feel good after what's been a very frustrating time here as a Chicago Bear. But then you follow up with what we talked about, two critical errors in the last two drives of the, uh, of the game where you have a, a penalty that, that backs you up, when you don't need to be backed up any further and then you, you you don't catch a ball that turns into an interception. You only caught three of your eight targets on the day. Um, You know, I mean, the bears traded away a pick that became the number 32 overall pick in the draft because they believed you were an every week difference maker and every week difference makers find a way to make a difference where their big plays outnumber, probably double, they're poor plays. And and so like uh, step in the right direction. Sure. Long, long way to go for this to enter any sort of territory where we go, okay, Chase Claypool is fine.
2: Rookie quarterback Tyreek Stevenson had a tough day. I think he's going to have more good days than bad ones, but this is a learning experience. He had the uh, 70 yard touch or t- 70 yard reception from Mike Evans that pushed off and there was a no call kind of did the Michael Jordan and Byron Russell get away from me I'm going to star here stars are going to get those no calls he also to me even more I think alarming or maybe a poorer play in in uh, on tape to watch was third and 14 when he didn't really remember where he was on the field he didn't get out of his back back pedal quickly enough and Evans got behind him and Baker Mayfield put it right dropped it right in the bucket between Brisker and Stevenson on 3rd and 14 which was a key play a 32-yard touchdown in that game and I think Tyreek Stevenson's going to have better days I wonder how he rebounded mentally
0: yeah well we'll see you know and and again like <laughs> we're going to Kansas City right like this is not a a, a, a hey guess what you're going to get some pain relief this week and you're going to you're going to play the the MVP of the league the guy who's got a couple uh rings on his finger and so it's not going to get any easier in the short term uh Tyreek Stevenson's doing what Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon had to do a year ago, which is kind of be a week one rookie starter and take some lumps. And there are going to be some high-profile lumps at times, and it's going to be um, really rough. But one of the things the Bears were really drawn to in the pre-draft process was just how – uh, resilient he is, and how 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 quickly he can reset, and and just how much fearlessness he has to attack moments like this. And so this is a big test for him to, to see how quickly he can regroup from it and and get his mind right, and then obviously get his execution right. He'll be okay. The the push off. I'll say this: that it looked a lot more egregious on second glance than it did in live action. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like I wouldn't have had a problem if they threw the flag. I also didn't have a problem that they didn't throw the flag because in the moment it just it just it didn't it it felt like. Tyreek Stevenson was trying to work around the body to make a play and Mike Evans kind of shielded him. I mean, like I said, it it probably could have and should have been called, but I also didn't think it was like, especially in live action, was like, oh, that was blatant. You got to let it go. The other part of that, David, though, is like you've played defensive back. Somebody's got to help you out there. You know, that that, that got out of the gates for 70. You know, that should have been at most like 35, you know, and so somebody's got to jump in and and give the kid a little bit of help there.
2: No safety help because he shoot him away like a gnat, and then all of a sudden he was gone, and that was Mike Evans' who had a very, very big day. 171. (laughs) 171, six catches, not bad. He was definitely uh, the best wide receiver on the field. On a day with DJ Moore, we should have mentioned this, DJ Moore, good day for him, over 100 yards receiving. I think that's what you're looking for, and I think that they got a taste of it. It may be a glimpse of what he can be. I'd say they needed to go to him even more often than they did.
0: No, and that's why I said that, you know, that this is the, at least you saw it, you know, and again, that's that, that just tells your quarterback, okay, like when you get him the ball, Good things are happening. You threw it to him seven times, and we got six completions for 104 yards. Like, keep going in that direction. Keep going in that direction. It's it. This is what happens when when quarterbacks and receivers sync up. You know, you, you develop that. Like Josh Allen knows he can go to Stephon Diggs in big moments. You know that the, the, the uh, Mahomes this week knows he can go to Travis Kelsey when he when he needs something. And so Justin's got to have that as an every snap, understanding that like when in doubt, go to DJ. Put it out there more times than not, you're going to be right uh, and and not wrong.
2: Braxton Jones is the left tackle. He has had a tough start to the season, in my opinion. Six penalties in two weeks, that's not a great start to the season. He may be grading out well and doing some things in a positive way, but Dan, the penalties interrupt drives, and they're not really something that you want to see become a habit. And six in two weeks seems like they're becoming a habit. Where are the Bears on the development and commitment to Braxton Jones at left tackle?
0: Yeah, I think they're um, necessarily all in at this point. Um, I don't know what your options are. Uh, they've been dealing with instability on the interior of the offensive line, which again reared its head uh, in this game, and now they're just trying to to work through it with two young tackles. Um, rough, rough couple games for Braxton for sure. I think he's held up at times, and then obviously the errors are just, just the errors are just too big. To your point, they're they're drive killers, and he gets beat badly on one of the sacks yesterday where Justin had no prayer on that one. That wasn't a holding the ball too long situation. And so that that that's another guy that needs to have improvement growth in week three, four, five, six, seven, eight, as we go forward here. Otherwise we're just going to be stuck in this same place. And I don't think I, I literally don't think any of us can handle being stuck in this same place for very much longer.
3: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check.
0: So let's take a look at some
2: injury updates and some personnel news in our two-minute drill.
3: The two-minute drill. The
2: two-minute drill. All right, Dan, there's a couple things that were left uncertain. Eddie Jackson left the game in the first quarter, didn't return. Darnell Mooney also with an injury. What's their health status? Learn anything at house on Monday?
0: Well, so on Sunday leaving the game, I had uh, just kind of stopped by Eddie's locker stall on my way to the Matt Iberfuss press conference and said, you're doing all right? And he said, I'll be all right. Matt Eberflus didn't make me feel as good as Eddie did in saying, like there was no. Promised that the injury that he suffered on Sunday wasn't related to the season ending foot injury he suffered a year ago. And until you rule that out, that's that's problematic because if this is something that was aggravated, uh, remember, Eddie avoided surgery on that List Frank injury that he had a year ago. If it's aggravated, uh oh, right? Like you, you could be going down a slippery slope. So I, that's definitely one to keep an eye on. Much more positive news as it relates to Darnell Mooney. He spoke to us Monday afternoon at House Hall, uh, said he suffered a knee bruise in week one and then had two plays in the first half on Sunday in which he he banged knees with an opposing defensive back. And so the bruise on his knee, the swelling was too much. And it, it, being in the press box there, you could see – between drives, Darnell was on the sideline. He was tr- trying to do some jogging, trying to run, trying to get himself loose. He couldn't get the bend in his knee. And so it was just problematic yesterday. He thinks they're going to be able to get it treated, get it back down. Um, there's no structural damage or anything like that. It's just a bruise that was was highly aggravated on Sunday. Obviously, they need him because I, I don't know what the final snap count for him was on Sunday, but it wasn't enough, particularly when you were trying to go mount uh, a game-tying or game-winning drive late and you can't have him out there.
2: Two members of the Bears family who missed Sunday's game due to personal reasons: right guard Nate Davis, who Brad Biggs reported had a death in the family, he was out. Also, defensive coordinator Alan Williams did not make the trip due to personal reasons. And Matt Eberflus said after the game, somewhat cryptically and surprisingly, that he wasn't sure when or if Alan Williams would resume play-calling duties when he returned. What are the updates on Nate Davis and Alan Williams, if you have them, Dan?
0: Yeah, I mean, Flus used the phrase, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And I think that registered as odd to a lot of people. I had someone who, who's been around the league for a very long time say that that was a very odd answer. But it's also hard to determine it, whether that's just another odd answer from a coach who's given a lot of odd answers in his time here. Uh, I think it's a, a situation worth monitoring at the at, at the very least because we're, we're not getting clarity At all on why Alan Williams is separated from the team. We're getting less clarity on when he'll be back. And we're getting even less clarity than that on what his job description would be if and when he is able to return. Um, Again, this is the type of stuff that for a winning football team is easy to walk past for a team that hasn't won in 330 plus days uh, you're talking about a a situation worth monitoring and a situation that's unsettling because it just doesn't provide the stability that a team like this requires.
2: And that brings me to the the last point I have, and we can cover whatever you want after that, but I I think this is probably maybe a preview of, of a future pod maybe or later this week, or it's just, a uh, rhetorical question, but it's something to keep an eye on. Bears gave up 437 yards to the Buccaneers, and they gave up 292 in the first half. And n- next week you get the sense that it could be something, a number even bigger and, and a situation even worse. And at some point in time, after what looks like it's going to be 13 straight losses, you got a defensive head coach that was hired, and 13, you know, two two se- season and a half into – his tenure there's really no identifiable characteristic for the defense it's supposed to be the takeaway group no takeaways they had no sacks again against baker mayfield he's resourceful resilient great for baker mayfield the point is that we know chicago after this conversation surrounding the quarterback get gets a little bit dated old and stale fingers are going to start the point or questions are going to begin to re, be asked if they're not already about matt eberflus Brad Biggs, our guy, we mentioned him, Bigsy. His first point on the 10 thoughts on ChicagoTribune.com is, is Matt Eberflus' job on the line? This is the the tenor of the questions. This is going to be the tone of the coverage and the conversations. If this doesn't stop, Dan, if this continues with all the losing and the way that they're losing with a defense that can't stop anybody and a quarterback that can't get it right, how do you feel about that direction or what would you say about people who are already starting to question how long matt eberflus is going to be here
0: well i'd say that i got a spam email in my inbox on monday morning uh with the odds that matt eberflus has the second lowest odds or, or or second most likely to be fired next right so so this is not just a chicago conversation that's being had right now he's on a watch list uh it's it's something they gotta be aware of at House Hall because you gotta prove yourself. From two thousand and nineteen to two thousand and twenty one, we had a mountain of statistics that indicted the Chicago Bears offense that ultimately drowned Matt Nagy and saying you were brought here to take this offense to a new level and you couldn't do it. Well, we've got a defense now david that's given up an average of 33 points and 400 plus yards per game during a 12 game losing streak that's not an itty bitty 21 day sample size like we had a year ago when the bears were celebrated for averaging 30 points per game that is a 330 day (laughs) statistic of how much they're allowing defensively we know what the personnel issues have been we know how much they've tried to fix and how much they've been able to fix but my goodness like there there better be a calling card at some point, your fingerprints better be on something that you can bring to a performance review and say, this is what I did. This is what I have done to advance this team toward a championship level. Right now, I think all questions are justifiable in saying, "Like, I don't, I don't know what that is at this point. And so as much as we talk about Justin, um, as much as we talk about other things that are wrong with this team, the, the guy who's leading this team doesn't dodge that stage. He doesn't dodge that spotlight. He doesn't dodge that scrutiny.
2: Okay, so September 18th, Dan Wiederer starts the Baygent watch and David Haas <laughs> starts the Eberflus watch. I, I, I know it's, it's very, very early in the season. Teams can get turned around at 0-2, but I just don't know that this is the Cincinnati Bengals who at after going 0-2 got deep in the playoffs and there's no Joe Burrow walking through that door and this is a different team. They only share uh, a helmet color. At times, you know, the orange is the only thing in common between those two things. So I think that, yeah, any kind of speculation, it is the NFL. We've seen things happen. And it's just one of those, you're just waiting for some sort of identity to emerge. And I do wonder, as we close up here, I do wonder if, you know, last year during the mini buy, Luke Getze reconfigured the offense to tailor it to Justin Fields skill set. And we saw what happened. You know, they need to do they need to take the same approach in my view, or at least consider taking the approach that they took at the mini buy because they have a major crisis and they need to do something because I just don't think trying the same thing over and over again, especially when you have the schedule with the chiefs up next, is going to do, do you much good.
0: Well, you say something, but it can't be the same thing that they tried a year ago because it worked for a month. And there was great quotes from Luke Getzi in the deep dive I did on Justin Fields background combine time about what that unlocked in terms of just the relaxation and the confidence, but the rest of the league adjusted. And the rest of the league has shown you that they're not going to let Justin get on the edge with his legs. They're not going to take their eyes off of him and let him get out of the gates for 65 yards and a touchdown. They're going to be okay with him scrambling for seven or eight, and then they're going to make him beat them with passing. And so the bears have to find a new solution. They need a solution. You're right on that. You can't keep trying the same thing, but it can't be the same thing they did a year ago because it isn't going to work because this is a league full of smart coaches and talented players that figured out how to stop that. And if uh, basically make your counter move, you're going to be stuck where you are.
2: I don't disagree with that. and I think this is an ongoing conversation. I don't want to get too too long here, but I, I think that, you know, you look at the Vikings and their challenge is to find ways to get Justin Jefferson open consistently because why? He's the best receiver in football. You look at the Titans, and over Derrick Henry's career, they've had to find ways to utilize him in the best way possible because he's the toughest guy to bring down in the National Football League. You have special talents, and you find ways to make sure that they're utilized without being wasted, and you find ways to schematically create opportunities that you can take advantage of. And I I don't think you're splitting the atom here, and I don't think you're reinventing the wheel. You have to empower Justin Fields to use what makes him, the skills that make him special, that make him unique. And I don't know how you do that that is different than last year when the league caught up to you, but you're right. You've got to try because it's incumbent upon you to figure out a way to maximize the roster, the talent you have on your roster because you're not dealing with Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. You've got Justin Fields. Who is a very unique quarterback. So find a way to make him make those special skills matter.
0: You know what the most special ones do, and what Justin did when he was at his most special is they make plays that are off script. And I don't think there were many at all, if any on Sunday in Tampa. And so he's got to start to make those things happen with his legs, with his legs and arm. You know, we've talked about that combination of being a scrambler as a runner and being a scrambler as a thrower. He's got to do it. He's got to figure that out. He's got to figure out that secret formula uh, to get that unlocked. Um, Man. We're going to revisit here at the end of the week, and we're going to be talking about a matchup against the Chiefs. I, like, I, I'm eager to hear Stud's prediction for the game on uh, at the end of the week. I'm eager to see how high I think the score is going to go because, like, I, I really do think this comes down to just how um, merciless or merciful Andy Reid wants to be.
2: All right, our two-minute drill is run out of time. We, we managed the clock like Andy Reid used to manage. The we got clock. points out of it, though. We got points we got out of points. it. We points. made we points. points. All right, so we'll wrap things up and we'll drop this on Tuesday morning, and you will hear from us later in the week, making our predictions for the Chiefs and the Bears. And you can download us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us on Six Seventy Scores YouTube page. You can evaluate us all you want, and you can reach us on Twitter at, at TakeTheNorthPod. For Adam Stodzinski, our producer, Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune, I'm David Hoff on the Mullen Haas Show on 6.7 Sport. Thanks for listening to Take the North.
0: Great talk. See you out
2: there.